You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, but you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're not coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center like we normally do. We're coming to you from my home and the chairman's. That's weird. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media at Council of DC. Listeners, this is a special round of hearing a council interviews, one we never expected to have to do and hope we'll never have to repeat in the future. This is a special COVID edition of Hearing the Council. Uh, thank you for joining us, Chairman Mendelson. Thank you for having us, Mr. Gibson. Uh, I know that you are very tight on time, so we're going to attempt to go as quickly as we can and uh, let you go as early as we can. Um, how would you sum up the council's response to COVID? What was your strategy and your approach? What we've tried to do is, first of all, be as consensus-driven as possible. And that's not only consensus within the council, which we've been so far, but also consensus in working with the mayor and on a few issues with the attorney general. Second of all, the uh, council doesn't play the same kind of role in an emergency like this public health emergency that we would do in ordinary times. I think it's very important that we work as closely with the mayor and, re and be supportive, recognizing that there, so much of dealing with the um, emergency and the public health issues is executive driven. In other words, they're not legislative solutions to the crisis. However, having just said that, uh, the third thing that we have done is to look for ways that legislatively we can reduce barriers or reduce burdens or assist with individuals or with businesses. What can, what are barriers to helping? So early on, meaning March 17th at the beginning of the emergency, the council adopted comprehensive legislation with unemployment, changes to unemployment insurance so that individuals could easily access the insurance and uh, with eviction prohibition so that people didn't need to worry about being evicted in the middle of their having lost their job because of the virus. And we looked at what issues uh, were a problem and that we could deal with enacted legislatively. And we've continued to do that since then. Uh, fine tuning the eviction provisions, for example, dealing with debt collection, uh, deferral of rent or utility payments, uh, all of these are issues where the law needed to be changed in order to provide consumer protection or to help with businesses or just to make sure that the mayor has clear authority. Um, and almost every two weeks since then, the council has passed some sort of COVID-oriented omnibus measure. Correct. My understanding is at tomorrow's meeting, there's going to be an omnibus of the omnibi um, capturing the progress of all the past bills in a single bill. 
Um, can you explain how and why that's happening? I can, and it will be monumentally uninteresting. So then we we'll pass. To, what's that? Then we can pass. If it if it doesn't interest you, it won't interest the others. No, it interests me. Oh, okay. Well, would you like to take a stab at it, or should we just go to the next question? Um, we, the council has adopted four emergencies. An emergency bill is one that can be effective as soon as the mayor signs it, but it only lasts for 90 days, as opposed to typical legislation, which requires two votes of the council, signature by the mayor, then goes up to Congress for at least a 30-day layover. We've passed four emergency bills, and, they've be and some of them are amending each other, so they've begun to sort of tumble over each other, and they have an effective date that's retroactive to March 11th, which made sense back in March 17th, and it still makes sense, but if the bill's only good for 90 days and it's retroactive to March 11th, these bills are gonna be expiring in a matter of weeks. So we're putting them all together, uh, reorganizing them so that all the provisions dealing with rent are in one place as opposed to a section of one bill and a section of another bill. We're also looking at the language more carefully to make sure that ambiguities are clarified and some um, problems that have come forward that have been brought to our attention or dealt with. Uh, there may be, I'm gonna say maybe uh, a half dozen new sections. For instance, utility payment plans is a new section. Uh, that we hadn't previously adopted. But most of the 250 page bill is just a reorganization, consolidation of the four previous emergencies. The um, emergency that we'll be considering will um, be retroactive to March 11th, but we will simultaneously adopt a second emergency that's virtually identical that will be effective beginning in June. So in that way, we're taking care of the time lapse. Was okay. Fascinating. Yeah, super fascinating. Um, should we, should the public expect, and sort of on an ongoing basis, that there be an omnibus measure every couple of weeks or so, or do you feel like uh, kind of like we're flattening the legislative curve, we're getting ahead of a lot of the issues that could come up, so they should see a diminishing number of council special actions. Well. Sometimes legislators feel that they need to be doing something, and so really all we can do is either oversight hearings or legislation. I'm hopeful that the urge to legislate will be dying down. It hasn't really, uh, but uh, I'm hopeful that that's, it's going to be, be dying down because we've now been at this for two, almost two months. And um, other than some ideas we never, I should say issues that we never envisioned, uh, there really shouldn't be much new. An example of something we hadn't envisioned was that um, we shut down the restaurants as part of this emergency, the, you know, the, the social distancing. We immediately knew that there would be an issue with, uh, you know, they, they have no income. So we allow carry out and delivery and, um, didn't occur to us that the uh, delivery could occur one of two ways. So Josh, you could go to, a you could call the restaurant and say, I want to get a hamburger to go and you go pick it up. 
or you could go through an app and order your hamburger, which will be delivered to you. And the latter sounds pretty simple, but what you don't know as a consumer is that there is a delivery charge. It's just not charged to you. It's taken as a commission against the restaurant. And uh, there have been commissions as high as 30%, which basically wipes out any meager profit the restaurant is getting. So two weeks ago, we adopted legislation and among other things, capped how much that, that commission would be. We capped it at 15%. We had never imagined that that would be an issue back in March. It became apparent that it was a problem, and so we've dealt with it. And so there'll probably be a few more things like that, but uh, I'm hopeful that the legislative itch will be, have been scratched enough over the last two months that there won't be a lot of new stuff going forward. Well, but following on that, just as perhaps the COVID legislative cycle is uh, winding down, the budgetary cycle is winding up. Um, and we know from the CFO that we, we uh, the council needs to take uh, 700, roughly 700 million out of the ongoing fiscal year budget with only six months to go, five and a half months to go and another seven, 750 out of next year's budget. So basically we're passing two of the most difficult budgets the council's passed in decades in an abbreviated time frame. What, um, what are your thoughts on that? Recessions are different. That's my first thought. And instead of our arguing over what to do with the growing largesse, instead we now have to tighten our belts and figure out where to do the painful process of cutting. I spoke with the city administrator the other day who indicated that the mayor's proposed budget will be taking something like 450 cuts across the eight different agencies. And uh, so I think we should be expecting that uh, this will be painful. I don't think, I don't want to exaggerate that. I think that um, the city has benefited from enormous growth in revenues. And so it's put us in a very strong position. And uh, so if we are, um, if, we're, if we're thoughtful enough about how to balance things, I think we can get cuts, even though three quarters of a billion dollars sounds like a lot, we can get cuts uh, without doing real damage to any of the important programs that we have. But that takes some work. Remember the, um, I say remember as if I'd already said this, if I, the, if I remember correctly, the revenue estimates indicated a 7% drop in revenues. 7% is hefty, but it's not as much as what jurisdictions, a lot of jurisdictions are facing, which is double digit you know, maybe 20, 30%. So. Will it be harder to get the money out of the ongoing FY20 budget, the 700 million, or will it be harder to get it out of next year's? Well, we'll see what the mayor proposes. Uh, and then we'll either agree or disagree. Uh, there's some, for closing the, um, the fiscal year 2020, the current year gap, um, we can use one-time fixes. 
Uh, when I say one-time fixes, just as an example, we could cancel a capital project if it's what we call pay-go money, which is cash as opposed to borrowing. We could just transfer that to operating. It doesn't work as a long-term strategy. Most of our expenses are recurring as opposed to one-time. For instance, a payroll expense. Um, unless unless uh, DPW is going to get rid of all of its uh, sanitation workers, and I know it's not, but unless it's going to get rid of its sanitation workers, their salaries are recurring. It's year after year after year. So you can't use one-time funding to pay for something like that. But uh, uh, closing a, a deficit in 2020, the current year, we can use one-time money. And uh, that makes, makes the options for the solution easier. Will this be the hardest budget cycle since you joined the council? No. What? No. Uh, we had a recession, the Great Recession in 2008. And um, there also was a very brief revenue shortfall back uh, after 9-11. Uh, and um, I'm trying to remember in the 90s, the late 90s, the control board, I don't think there was the cutting in the early 90s, there were deficits every year. Now I wasn't, I'm, I wasn't a council member, but I was here as staff. And I remember the pain of going through those cuts. So I've seen it. What, what made those harder? Uh, the district was not in a strong position financially. And so it didn't, um, didn't have as many tools to um, as many tools available to uh, help resolve the um, the gaps. A uh, plus, there were um, well. I think this is another a variant of what I just said about fiscally strong. Uh, the government and its its uh, budget structure was unsound, and so um, it wasn't just fixing a problem because there was a greater problem around surrounding it, and we weren't able to deal with that. Uh, for instance, we had an unfunded pension liability of, if I remember correctly, several billion dollars. Uh, we had expenses then that we don't have now. Um, and in the early 90s, the government was solving a lot of its budget problems with gimmicks. Uh, some people may remember the infamous four, uh, fifth quarter, that one year the budget was balanced by moving up tax payments by a quarter. So there were five quarters of payments in one year. And that stuff is, if I say goofy, that's almost making light of it. It had real consequences. Namely that uh, the short-term solution didn't solve anything and maybe even made the, the midterm solution or midterm situation worse. Uh, so that was the context back then. Once um, sports and uh, restaurants and bars come back, I would love to open a sports bar across from the Wilson building called the Fifth Quarter. Okay, do it. Maybe in our post-government lives, we could go in on that uh, together. Well, I could, uh, yeah, I was going to say I could partner with you, but I have to be careful about outside employment. Yes, yes. Um, do you, I, I think I misspoke earlier and said it was a shortened budget cycle, and we really can't shorten the budget cycle by law because the Home Rule Act states, uh, what is it, 54 and 70 days, or am I misspeaking? 
Well, we can shorten it because I believe I believe the the law it gives us up to fifty six days before the first vote, seventy days before the second vote. Uh, but the fact is, is that fifty six days is very short. That means that the committees of the council have basically a month to examine eight billion dollars worth of local spending, or I think it's closer to uh, fifteen billion dollars total, including federal money. Um, to what, uh, two or three questions in my head. One is, do you think this abbreviated cycle, these two uh, big budgets with heavy cuts, um, do you think that process-wise plays to the mayor or the council? And a parallel question is, I know the, like you said, the omnibus measures have been from a consensus standpoint. To what extent do you think this will be able to be a consensus budget? I think all of our budgets have gone through on a unanimous vote, and uh, we... But I mean consensus, executive, legislative. Oh, um, I'm hopeful that this budget will be more consensus-oriented between the mayor and the council than previous budgets have been. Uh, the mayor has strongly objected to some changes we've made in the past, but I, I don't know that we're gonna be doing that much of it. I think that much of that, um, what we've done in the past, because um, we're in cutback mode. Is there, the mayor has said, I believe that that uh, nothing is off the table um, in terms of the budget. Is, is there anything from a council perspective that you see as uh, being off the table in terms of uh, subject to cuts? Uh, I think if we're speaking in generalities, I would say there's nothing off the table. But um, I know when the mayor said that, she, she made a point of that at the press conference where the revenue estimates were released, and it made a lot of people nervous. The um, media picked it up like, oh, there could be furloughs, there could be uh, rifts. Yeah, there could be. I think it's unlikely. Uh, I think we handicap ourselves if we start... Um, picking things to put off the table. Uh, if, if we take uh, something off the table, then somebody's gonna come along and say, you gotta take something else off the table. And I don't know that that's a good place for our energies because uh, some things are not likely. And I think, I think that the furloughs and risks are unlikely. Um, okay, changing topics a bit. Um, how are you experiencing this from a constituent service standpoint with your constituent service as opposed to your legislative aspect of being a council member? What, what are you hearing from people? What is shocking you? What is saddening you? What is heartening you? Um, well, when you ask it that way, <clears throat> I feel like there's something that was on my mind earlier that was um, either shocking or, or disheartening. At the moment, though, I can't remember that. Uh, we are trying to continue with constituent services. It's a little bit more difficult to do it remotely. Um, in my office, my constituent services team likes to go out and do field visits, see what's actually going on, and uh, they're not able to do as much of that. So, yeah, I mean, constituent what are you hearing? What are the COVID? impacts that you're hearing from people and how are they, what are the emotions that you're hearing 
in your interactions. Um, I would say I'm not hearing that much. I'm hearing a lot of, from advocacy groups, concerns about what could be. Like that uh, child care centers could be, um, won't be able to sustain the uh, shutdown and they'll be going out of business. And we've been looking at that and seeing if there's something we can do to help. But my point is that um, most of what I've been hearing has been advocates who are concerned about the need for some policy or that some other policy is actually getting in the way and hurting people. As opposed to hearing from individuals, uh, a different kind of a comment or complaint. Yeah, that to me, it was the first few weeks were the most intense when we were getting a lot of feedback via social media about people, the direct impact on people. So I, I would kind of second that. And then how are you dealing with this uh, personally? The idea of quarantine and most people not being at the office and uh, not being able to go to restaurants or the theater, or those, those kinds of things. Um, let's see, you threw out a few things. First of all, I don't think anybody who worked in the Wilson building has been quarantined. No, no, I don't mean quarantine. I mean, being, you know, stay at home. Yeah. I think people are getting used to it. I mean, we're doing this, um, Facebook, but, uh, this, uh, I mean, we're getting used to doing this. It's different, but, uh, we're figuring it out. Although I do think that there is a lot of longing for getting that social interaction, which actually makes the day more interesting and then oftentimes in dealing with issues more helpful. It would be nicer to do this interview, Josh, person to person rather than electronically where you're just a little box. Um, but it's working. The um, not going to restaurants is probably a good thing, although I probably shouldn't say that because we need to support our restaurants and local businesses. Cooking more at home, learning a few recipes that are kind of tasty, a couple of disasters there. Um, I had the experience of having my um, house chalk bombed the other day. People showed up and wrote all over the sidewalk political messages. That was new and different. They were all wearing masks as far as I could tell. I wasn't there. Neighbor sent me pictures. Um, I think that these uh, remote conferences and meetings, in some ways, they illustrate that we can have meetings without everybody having to get dressed and pack up their briefcases and come down to the Wilson building and wait for the meeting. There's another way to do it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think we're getting more used to these zoom platform meetings and they're taking up more and more and more of a day so it's just a change of life interesting but uh, uh interesting getting used to it but it is different um i'm gonna ask you one more question and then while you're answering i'm gonna quickly check on facebook and see if there's any questions that have come in uh from constituents one of the few to me downsides i think the online meetings it's a fairly successful platform but public interaction and input seems to be a bit of a challenge and a struggle uh, related to the budget process for one 
Um, what do you think, uh, how do you think the level of public input is going to uh, be? Uh, and um, you think there are ways to improve it? Do you think it's satisfactory and do you think there are ways to improve it? Uh, I th the council, the council in developing the schedule for the budget has gone out of its way to figure out how to ensure public participation. I had urged every committee to have at least one hearing with the public. In some ways, it might be a good thing that the hearings are more streamlined because I think it's really hard on the public when there's a nine hour hearing and they don't know whether to come to the chamber at six o'clock in the afternoon or wait until nine o'clock in the afternoon or evening, I should say. Uh, every committee has a, a phone line where people can call and speak their testimony, which will be transcribed and then entered into the record. So that's a new feature that uh, makes it easier for the public to participate. But our hearings will be shorter, and so there'll be fewer public witnesses at our hearings. Uh, but we're encouraging people to submit written testimony as well. So there are opportunities for public participation. They're not the same as long and longer as in the past, but uh, there will be opportunities. Gotcha. Um, on Facebook, there just seem to be comments, editorial, positive and negative, but no questions. Um, and I know that you're very tight on time. Um, are there any final uh, comments or uh, anything you'd like to say to constituents or funny stories? what one of your cooking disasters was. Uh. I burned something. I burned the applesauce. I burned the cabbage. I tried to burn the spaghetti sauce. What's that? Just through distraction or ineptitude? Because I could see you being distracted and trying to balance the budget in your head and then, you know, or was it just poor, poor service? Well, I like to think that I'm a renaissance man, that I can cook and think about the budget, as well as be on the phone, as well as take care of the cats at the same time. But um, uh, maybe I need to reflect and work on that. Understood. Um, well, I wanted to be uh, good to my promise to let you off in time for your next call. Let me just read the closeout, and then we're good to go. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Okay. Um, new listeners, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. Thank you, Chairman Mendelson. Good luck with everything. Thank you.